Oh, cool. All right. So if you are listening online, I just want to welcome again you guys to uh, the Dean Church Fellowship online. Uh, this is maybe the first of uh, a new work that God is going to be doing. Who knows um, uh, what God has in store. But we are hopeful. And uh, before we do get started tonight, I do want to lift up one more time uh, a prayer request that we have for uh, Jen Robles and for also for, um, for Eric. So let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I do want to lift up to you, Lord, Jen, our sister. I pray, Father, that you would just heal her, Lord God. Be with her in this time, Father, where there's uh, uncertainty, Lord God, but there's hope and trust completely in you, Lord. And we are certain in Christ Jesus and our salvation. I pray, Father, for Eric, Lord, that you would just, Father, break the, the bonds, Father, the, the chains that are on him, Father. And I pray, Father, that you would give him, Lord, just a, a new mind, Father. And we continue, Father, just to, to have faith in you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Tonight I do have a, a Bible study in Second Kings. So if you guys do have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Second Kings uh, chapter 6. Uh, I was trying to think of what I was going to be teaching on tonight and... Uh, just with everything that's going on right now, the, the global climate, uh, this account in scripture came to my memory again concerning a, a famine that took place in Israel and how God did it work through this famine. You see, in this time, Israel was constantly going from uh, this place where they were worshiping the Lord fully and completely, and then they would turn away so easily to idols, to idolatry. And we watch in the, in the book of the kings how constantly there would be a good king who would come and he would lead the nation with truth and with righteousness. And then a, another king would come up after him. And so quickly would the entire nation go into idolatry. And you know, I, I, what I see in, in our own nation is we have turned to idols. And there is a spiritual famine in the land. But there is hope and there is a remnant. God keeps his remnant. So with that being said, uh, the, the portion of scripture that we're going to be reading in tonight is a reminder that God is a God of miracles, that there is a, a spiritual wealth found in Christ. Let's begin in, in 2 Kings, if you turn to chapter 6, beginning with verse 24. It says this, And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army, and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cob of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So during this time, we see here... Uh, Israel, it's at, keep in mind, it's a split nation at this point. You have northern Israel, and then you have the southern tribe of Judah. And both had these reigning kings who constantly were 
leading people into idolatry. Now, Ben-Hadad was the Syrian king who came to conquer the northern tribe of Israel. Now, Ben-Hadad, his name, it's more of a title than it is his actual name. He was, that's like saying president. But he was coming from the north to, to take Samaria there in the northern part of Israel. And it said that there was a great famine in verse 25. This famine had lasted seven years. The prophets Elijah and Elisha were, were there during this time to try to bring Israel back to God's righteousness. It says how this donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. And for their standard, that was a quite a, an amount of money for a donkey's head. And the donkey's head usually was not even eaten. And then it also speaks of a, a, a cob of drove dop, dove droppings. So we're not really sure what they were doing with these dove droppings. It may have been even as something as gross as using it for food or taking the seeds and trying to reuse them. But they were being also sold where waste is, is being sold now. So we see the climate, the, the, the setting now of Israel now in turmoil. And it says in verse 26, Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? So here's an interesting account now of this story where this woman is crying out for help to her king. And the king responds and says, where am I going to help you? If God doesn't help you, where am I going to find my help? And what is kind of sad about this part is that the king himself, he knew of the Lord and of his miraculous works and of his power, but he wouldn't submit to him. And nor was he seeking God here. So just because you know that God is real, just because you know Jesus exists and that he died for your sins, doesn't mean you're obedient to him. It doesn't mean that you're saved. The Bible teaches that even the demons know that God is real, that they fear and tremble his name. But what it, it's about relationship. Salvation comes from faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now this king, he, he was the type of guy who at times would turn to God and see his miraculous works, but always going back to his selfish ways. The undying to self. Is that us tonight? Are, are we constantly going back and forth and fighting with God, knowing who God is, knowing what God's done for our for ourselves, yet not submitting. I would encourage us to repent. In verse 28, Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. So this is the desperation of people, which has resulted in the grossest and darkest of sins now, where they are 
literally taking their children and using them for food because they've been so hungry. And these two women made this deal. Look, we're going to eat our children in order to survive. They're becoming desperate. So the first one offers her child up. And they kill and eat him. And then the second one, when it was her time to offer her child up, she hid her child. And the king, he hears this now. He sees the desperation. Are you guys desperate today? Has desperation led you to move outside of God's will? Outside of God's timing? You see, as Christians, the only thing that we should be desperate for is Christ. And nothing else. To submit to him. It says in verse 30, Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes, and as he passed by on the wall, the people looked. And there underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. Now the sackcloth, it was this, like, I'm, you can imagine like a potato sack where it would just scratch against the skin and cause a rash. And he is now just mourning the fall of the nation. In verse 31, then he said, God do so to me and more also. If the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat remains on him today. Now here's the hypocrisy in all this. The king led this nation, helped assist in leading this nation into idolatry. And now, when it's time for him to turn to the Lord, he ends up blaming the prophet of God when he should take responsibility for his own actions. That's a hard thing to do sometimes is take responsibility for your actions. We want to pass the buck. We want to pass the blame on other people sometimes for our sins and why we are the way we are. We talk about how it was the way we were brought up. We talk about how it's because of these circumstances that we are acting this way. Or we ask for more time to act a certain way. But God is asking for repentance today. Today is the day of salvation. In verse 32, it says, But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? So the king now sends basically uh, an assassin to take out Elisha. But we see that God has given Elisha spiritual insight and discernment. We see that Elisha can already discern that there is someone coming to him. There's a spiritual gift known as the word of knowledge. And that is when the Holy Spirit at God gives you a truth that you would not known without him. It's a word of knowledge. Now there's also a spiritual gift known as the word of wisdom. 
And that is when you know how to use that truth. But Elisha, he has this. You know, it's good for us to pray for discernment. It's good for us to pray and to look out circumspectly at our situation, where we're going. Because the enemy is trying to attack us. Just as we see here, the enemy trying to attack Elisha. We need to have the full armor of God on. We pray it on. We read our word. We prepare for battle. So he sees that the messenger to kill him is coming and he says, shut the door and hold him fast. And in verse 33, and while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So they stop this assassination attempt. And then in chapter seven, then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So notice what the king is doing. He's saying, Luke, why am I going to wait any longer for the Lord? Sometimes we, we get impatient, especially when we're desperate. If there's something that you are waiting on right now, and you're praying, God, am, am I supposed to move forward in this? If there's a desperation of the flesh, wait on the Lord. Continue to seek him, ask for his wisdom, his discernment. Because look how Elisha knew what was going to be coming. Because the Lord gave him that word of knowledge. He said that tomorrow there was going to be fine flour and, and barley that was going to be sold for a very minimal price. Whereas before, everything was sold for a very expensive price. And then in verse 2, it says, So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make the windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, Elisha now, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Ah, So after Elisha gives this prophecy of how there's going to be an abundance of food, the person who doubts looks at this and says, no, how can that be? If God was to open up the windows of heaven. And then in verse three, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. So here's a, a couple of guys who I kind of see as uh, kind of cool. Why? Because they're outcasts, four leprous men, outcasted in the city, not allowed to, to mingle with other people. 
They had this disease on them now. And they came to a point where no longer were they even afraid to die anymore. They said, look, no matter what, whether we go back to our, our city, there's no food there, we're going to die. And if we go to the Syrians, maybe we could even beg for, for food. But death was the worst thing for them. And they said, once that's, what, what, have, what do we have to lose? So the, now they, they kind of went out in faith, saying, look, perhaps there's something good. They had hope. And you know, sometimes when we were outcasted, sometimes when all the doors have been closed, when you lose, when you have things taken away from you, there's relief. You know, a lot of times we see when, when things are removed by God, all of a sudden peace comes. It says in verse 5, And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots and the noise of the horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. So right here, this is now the important part of the account because we have the miracle right here. Where the Syrian camp, they were outside, they were waiting to attack. What they would do is they would uh, encamp around the city and hold it hostage and make it basically run out of food and they would wait for the people to, to become weak. And their plan was to completely destroy and take over. But now God, but God came with the sound of many horses, put fear into the Syrians' hearts. And the Syrians, they fled because they thought that a great army was coming against them. And back in Israel, in Samaria, nobody knew what God was doing. See, God is always at work. And sometimes you can't see it. We don't see what God is doing behind the scenes. We don't see what God is doing in the hearts of men and women. But we have faith. God is working. God is moving. And so these four lepers, they came. They said, what do we have to lose? It was Elizabeth Elliot, her husband. I believe Jim Elliot. Who said, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Referring to somebody giving up what they have here on this life so that he can gain an eternal weight of glory, which is awaiting for that person in heaven 
Are there things in our life that were got flipped upside down of what's more important? Sometimes we think it's school that's so important. Sometimes we think it's our job that's so important. That people are more important than God. But what is eternal? That's what God has called you to do. When you actually are loving your family, when you're loving your brothers in the Lord, that's the eternal weight of glory. There are good works that God will reward us for. James said that faith without works is dead. Now we are not saved by our works, but the works do show an evidence that we are saved. And one day our works, they'll be tested in the fire in heaven. And God will melt those works, whether it's gold or silver or wood, hay, and stubble. And the crowns that we get in heaven, we get to one day throw them at Jesus Christ's feet. So what are we working for? Again in verse 9, Then they said to one another, after getting all these uh goods and finding all the food. It's like they just hit the jackpot. Wow, God moved. God did a work. They're taking everything in for themselves. And then in verse nine, it says, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So now, as they're taking all of it for themselves, conviction hits them. There's starving people out there. People are hungry. And how true is that today? Maybe we're taking all for ourselves, not worrying about our brothers and sisters. Maybe when that uh, pallet of water comes in, We need to keep other people in mind. And with that, what about the spiritual part of it? Yes, we Christians, we we have the word of God. We have the Ten Commandments. We have Jesus Christ. But are we to keep that to ourselves? Are we not to share of the blessings that God has given us and give that to other people? What then? If we do that, we commit sin. In verse 10, it says, So they went and they called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So now after hearing the, of, of the good news that these men brought. They came to share. They were excited. They said, look, there's a bunch of food out there. The Syrians are gone. 
And the king and his men were like, nah, nah, this is a trap. Now this is, they want to get us out so they can kill us. Why? Because they're fearful. They're doubtful. Even after the prophet spoke to them and told them that there was going to be food again, they still disbelieved. Sometimes in our life, God will remind us of his promises. And he reminds us again and again. Why? Because we're stupid sheep, right? Sometimes it's a hard head. And we'll hear a promise and we're good. And when we hear it in the Bible study, we're like, okay, I'm good. And we go out there to the world and all of a sudden the trial comes. And our fear kicks in and our faith, it falters. But that's not for us to be condemned. See, even Abraham, a man who faltered in his faith at times, was used, was used mightily. And God still has a plan for us who love God and are called according to his purpose. In verse 13, and one of his servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitudes of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army saying, go and see. So now they're taking that step of faith. They're saying, look, what what do we got to lose? If God's in this, then he's in it. In verse 15, and they went after them to the Jordan And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And what do we see? We see that God's word never fails. This Bible right here, this is God's infallible word. It's an inspired word, meaning there's no error in that he breathed breathed out these words. I used to think that inspiration meant emotionally moved these men who wrote the Bible. But inspiration literally means God breathed and God does not breathe lies. So this is God's truth. When you're making decisions in life and you're basing your decisions on your moral compass, where does that moral compass come from? Does it come from yourself, your experiences? Or do you rely on God's word? When God says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we allow the enemy to tell us that we're condemned? Or do we believe in God's word? When God says that I have a plan for you, plans of good, plans of hope, do we believe that there's no plan for us? That God is not sovereign? Or do we believe in the word of the Lord? Verse 17, now the king had appointed the officer 
on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two sayas of barley for a shekel, and a saya of fine flour for a shekel, shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, should could such a thing be? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So this man who, who didn't believe, the prophet told him, look, you're going to see the blessings, but you're not going to even partake of it. You see, there is a sin of unbelief. And I would hate to be that person who, because of my lack of faith, I get to see the promises of God, but I don't get to partake in them. May we have that faith that God's word never fails. His promises are true. And the miracle of what God just did with, with the land of Israel. This tribe now, they have food again. In the darkest hour, when God met them, God burst through in ways they never imagined. God's word says that his ways are far above ours. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And sometimes we, we try to get our schedules and our plans so that we can have success in our life. And we think it's us doing the work. But ultimately, it's God. God is orchestrating our life. And he has those plans worked out for us. And the things that are not of him the things that we bring into our life that are not his will, they're just separating us, making it harder for us to have that fellowship with the Lord. And now with this account in Second Kings, we, we see a miracle. I believe in many of our lives today, we need a miracle. We need a miracle to believe in his word again. We need a miracle to get back into his word to get back to prayer, to get back to fellowship. I could see how this passage, it kind of correlates with what, with what is going on today in our world. Famine. But you know what? These things, as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of them because God taught us, Jesus Christ told us, he reminded us that before he comes back, that the days were going to be like the days of Noah, where people were just living their lives and giving in marriage, drinking wine, that people wouldn't be looking to God. And then Jesus also told them, his disciples, that before Christ comes back, that it was going to be like woman, a woman in labor, and the birth contraction, the birth pangs, would be what would be signs of Christ's coming. 
these birth pangs he's referring to are going to be pestilences and storms and hurricanes and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. And that's what we see today. That's what we see in our nation right now. And this is the first time in our nation where we've ever seen such a great virus like this. But is this the first of many? And if it is, are we more fearful than we are hopeful in Christ's return? This is getting me excited now because now I'm seeing that God's word is still coming to life. And I look forward to being without pain, being without suffering. Where in heaven, the the greatest and most wonderful experience that you're going to have is way better than any earthly experience that you have here on this earth. Now you think of those things, those awesome things that you do have here on this earth, those experiences that you have. And whatever that experience might be, in comparison, it's probably not even going to be in heaven. There's no ocean. There's no more marriage bed in heaven. There's no marriage. So what is there? It's Jesus Christ in full and complete fellowship with him. That love relationship. And he's going to be the most beautiful experience that you are ever going to have. You'll never get bored. And his infinity will constantly be filling you. Where you can continue to learn and grow deeper in love and peace and grace without suffering, without trial, without sin, without condemnation. Now you take that truth and that reality and you apply it into your situation right now. Where God, the God of love and peace and of kindness and of comfort, could come into your heart now and heal you and fill you to be your everything that you could be strong in Christ, that his Holy Spirit can empower you but with gifts. You could be fulfilled doing whatever it is that God has called you to do without fear. So the message I believe this evening is to believe in God, his word, because he's the God of miracles. I love Jesus. And we thank him. We thank him for what he's done, for what he did on the cross for our sins. He's given us a new life. John three sixteen. you guys know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That's God's word. And we can believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, Lord God, of jumping into your word, Lord. Seeing an account, Father, that's so applicable to today's climate. I pray, Father, that you would bring us faith, bring us hope, Lord God. Bring us a miracle in this season, Lord God, in this time. I pray, Father, that you would heal those are suffering from this virus and Lord God you would end this virus 
fully and completely and speedily. And Lord, if you should decide to wait, Lord God, then we will hope and trust in you and give us that heart, Lord, to love one another, to care for others, to put you first, to put others before ourselves. We love you, Father. We praise you. I I pray, Father, for, Lord God, just a spiritual blessing, Lord God, that we would grow in our spiritual gifts for you, that you would use us how you seem fit. And Father, may your name be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's have one more song. do want to just say before we end that uh, keep tuning in we're going to keep broadcasting we're going to have some cool uh, devotionals and bible studies for you guys on the way but we're praying for you keep us in prayer also remember that God's with us and then we love him and he's worthy to be praised at his feet he breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease oh mighty one of Israel you are on our side we walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire Lord of hosts your us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm, you will lead us through the fiercest battle, oh where else would we go, but with the Lord of hope. of Jacob, fierce and great, you lift your voice to speak. The earth, the bows, and all the mountains move into the sea. Oh Lord, you know the hearts of men, and still you let them live. Oh God, who makes the mountains malcolm wrestle us and win. Oh God, who makes the mountains Malcolm wrestle us and win. Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. 
broadcasting Sunday morning. So tune in then. We might have some stuff sooner. So uh, we'll keep you posted. God bless in Jesus' name.